Greetings and welcome to the pod. My name is Mark West and I'm currently sitting here looking at the swimmers swim across the bay at Bilgola Beach. And I was wondering what it is that those ocean swimmers do well that I don't. And somebody who will know is Andre Slade. Andre runs Ocean Fit, which are ocean swimming classes at Bondi Beach. I started by asking Andre what the major differences between pool swimming and ocean swimming are. Consistency would probably be one of the would be the number one. Uh, when, you, when you go to a pool, you know that it's going to be the you know the same temperature every time you go, the same length, the same depth. You know, water quality is pretty consistent. Um, you know, the water surface is going to be fairly calm, especially if you're swimming indoors. Um, so there's this real you know consistency about it. You know what you're going to get every time. After you've done that a, a few times, you start to get used to you know how how far away the the end of the pool is going to be and how much energy it takes to do x amount of laps and kind of things can be more the distances are complete you know you know if you're going to do uh, 20 laps then you get okay and if you you know if that's what you want to do you know how much energy it takes and, yep. and you kind of walk away you know before you get there you know what it's going to be like and when you're doing it you know how it feels and when you leave you know what you've done whereas when you get to ocean swimming um, it's a very dynamic environment. It's in nature, and and things are just um, are different every time. So, you know, all the elements that that comes at play at the beach can um, can change within the day, within the hour, within a race. Um, and so, you know, you know, you need to be prepared for them. You need to feel comfortable in that environment, and you need to know how to how to use it to your advantage. And things don't always go the way that you were thinking they were going to go and you need to be able to adapt and, and kind of move with it. So it's a very dynamic environment. And even during the swim on the weekend, like the, the conditions were relatively benign compared to what I've seen at Bondi before, but even during the swim, the wind picked up, the southerly came in right at the end and the swell was, was quite a lot bigger at the end of the race than it was at the start, which is good for me because I'm pretty lousy in the waves. Um, but so, yeah, it changed, it changed on the day, I think. Yeah, I was watching that actually in the 2K race. It was um, it kind of came through, and those what the guys out the front, they um, you know they got away with it a little bit because they were ahead of the of the front coming through. But the back markers definitely got got more of it. Um, you know, and especially down at South Bondi, there it's more exposed, and you know you tend to get a bit more swell in there. Um, the wind can get in there a bit more as well, um, and all of a sudden that can change just what it feels like to be in the water. Um, you know, now you're bobbing up and down. Now you've got a chop uh, coming, and you know you can start to, if you're getting a bit tired towards the end of the swim, and that happens. You know, that's where you can kind of just go. Oh, I'm just actually working on getting to the end. Whereas if you if you can work on your on your mental skills and think about, all right, the wind's got up. You know, what am I going to do now to make my swimming more efficient in this environment, and and how can I get through this? Um, you know, in a much more efficient way. For example, if you were breathing to the right on your way back to North Bondi, well, maybe you'd want to switch around and breathe to your left so that you kind of create a wind shadow and and have calmer water on your left-hand side. Um, And then you'd be getting a bit of a bump as you go. So maybe if you were, you know, short-stroking a little bit too much and you felt like you were swimming over top of every single chop, you might want to, you know, just glide out a bit more and see if you can cut the top off all the chop on the way back. So, you know, there's little things that you can work on and, and those, when those things happen um, if you know 
what to look for, how to feel it, and then how to adapt to it. Uh, it's going to make you a much better ocean swimmer. And how do you get that feel? Is it just experience? Is there is there any way you can do this in a pool, or do you really need to get down to the beach every week and practice? Yeah, I, the easiest way I can explain this, and I and this is one of the first things that we teach in our uh, ocean swimming clinics, I call it the four pillars of ocean fit, and it kind of explains um, within these four pillars what it takes to be an ocean swimmer. Um, you know, people come and they want the, the silver bullet. They think, you know, I'm a swimmer, well, I can just throw myself in the ocean and, you know, just keep spinning me up my arms. Um, but I break it down into four pillars and, and they are basically knowledge. Um, so developing your ocean awareness, actually understanding how the ocean works, how it can change, what's going on, um, and really, really understanding that. And that's something that everyone can learn because, you know, it's, it's, it's theory and, you know, once you, once you understand that, um, you know, you, you can put that away in the back of your mind and it's there to be recalled when you're, when you're out swimming. Um, or even before you get in. The second pillar is around your skills. So we all come with different level of swimming ability, um, and that's a very, very broad range. Um, in fact, some people who say they're good swimmers might only be able to swim, you know, four laps in a pool, and some people that say they're good swimmers are, you know, ex-triathletes or, you know, competitive swimmers. So it's a very broad broad range, but your, your, your swimming skills are going to be um, at the base of that. And then we learn... Our, you know, ocean swimming skills. How do we adapt our swimming to the ocean environment so that we're much more efficient? And and then with the knowledge of, you know, what's happening out there, how can we uh, use our skills, you know, in that in that environment in the moment? Uh, and, but then, like you were saying, it comes down to experience as well, which is the third pillar. You're developing your surf sense, which is really that kind of sixth sense you have about what's what's happening and and being able to, you know, people talk about feeling the water. Um, you know, just being able to feel what's happening, um, you know, feel the movement, feel the currents, feel the ebb and flow, um, and just being able to know what that feeling represents, what's then happening, and then being able to adapt your your skills, you know, to that environment. Um, and then the fourth pillar, um, if you were wondering what that was, uh, is our mental skills pillar. So, you know, you can have all the knowledge in the world about how the ocean works. You can have all the skills and swimming ability. You can have been out in the ocean. Um, a lot and kind of develop that surf sense. But if you don't have that kind of courage and positivity and belief in your ability um, and kind of trust, um, you know, and that and that ability to manage your anxiety, um, you know, things can start to, you know, control starts to be lost. So, you know, mental skills is all about staying in control, um, backing yourself, making sure that you can, you know, the decisions you're, you're making, you're making because you, you know, you understand the ocean and how it works. You, understand, you know you know that you've got the skills um, to swim in that environment. You've done it before, um, and now it's just putting it all, all together. So those four pillars, when it comes to ocean swimming, you know, it's, it starts to sound like, gee, you know, there's, <laughs> I thought I was just going to be jumping in the water and swimming around the, the boys at the North Forsyth Classic. <laughs> but, you know, in actual fact, <laughs> you can actually, you know, put a lot of things together if you really want to be um, an, an ocean swimmer. The the mental skills one is interesting because it's it's not I guess it's not necessarily the first thing you think of when you think of a physical activity but I mean I I kind of I can empathise with it you know you could be a kilometre off the coast and the swells up and you go geez this is this is a bit tough and you're tired and learning to sort of trust your ability and trust your training is uh, it that that is something that takes a little bit of experience isn't it oh definitely and. I have I've had people coming um, to see me and have been swimming with me in the mornings for years and you know and every now and again they'll still have a moment 
Um, you know, and that's, you know, that can be related to a lot of things. It might be things that are happening outside of, you know, swimming with that's, you know, clogging their, their mind up and, you know, they're just not quite, you know, they don't quite have enough of that um, mindset right in that moment to deal with, you know, a, a big set of waves coming through or, a, you know, a stronger wind coming that they're having to swim through. Um, and sometimes it can, you know, it can be just, oh, I just can't do this anymore. Um, you know, and that's where, you know, when you've got support, like, you know, if I'm swimming beside someone, I can encourage them and get them going. But if you're swimming by yourself or you're, you know, going out for your own ocean swim with someone else, you know, that, that may be one of those things that can set you back. And I, and I, I just go all the way back to c- the control. You know, we always want to keep, we always want to keep one step ahead of the ocean because it's, it's, it's this powerful beast and it's going to keep doing what it's doing. It's not going to stop and say, you know, hang on, oh, it's all right, Andre, I'll, I'll just leave a few sets free for you and, you know, we'll have a big lull until you get your, your breath back and, you know, yeah. dial the wind down just until you, you know, you're ready and then we'll let you go. Those waves are going to keep coming. The, the wind's going to keep blowing, um, you know, and you need to, you need to really work on that. The other, the other end of that is that it can be quite meditating. I mean, it's, it's quite a nice treatment of anxiety, isn't it? It helps if you can, if you get into a bit of a rhythm, you're breathing properly, you're surrounded by a buoyant, you know, nice and cool environment. It's quite good for managing anxiety if you don't let it overcome you. Oh, absolutely. And um, while I'm not, you know, I, I'm not the best person to talk to about, you know, how the ocean makes me feel, but I have plenty of clients that come to me. And the best stories that I have is that when they, they feel like they've overcome a fear of the ocean or a, a real strong anxiety um, with the ocean, you know, all of a sudden it's, well, if I can, if I can feel confident in this crazy, big, powerful, natural beast out there, you know, and I'm happy out there and I'm in control, all these other things that are happening in my life just pale in comparison anymore. So that, so it's, it's, it really kind of gets people um, into that space where they're like, wow, I mean, I'm, I'm out here swimming in this wild ocean that I never, ever thought I would ever do. And now, you know, when something's going on at home or work, they're like, oh, well, I just swam out the back of Bondi and across the bay and came back in, you know, and very, very few people in the world will ever do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's very, very liberating. Yeah. And, in fact, um, I did, I've done two really big um, surveys and I've had over 2,000 responses and I think it was two, 2015 and 16 and one of the questions was around, you know, why do you get into ocean swimming? Um, and, overwhelmingly, the biggest response was about the freedom, this whole idea that you're just unlocking yourself from, you know, the black line, you're getting away from technology, you know, everything that you can think of, noise, everything. And when you're out in the ocean, you're just free. Um, and I think that's really powerful. That's that's a really good point. It, and it's quite interesting because you can feel that freedom and then still be surrounded by 100 people. Uh, it's something about the environment. And, that, and that's an interesting idea. Like at North Bondi, I don't think I was ever swimming by myself because there were, I don't know, 800 people in the race or something. And it was, you know, it was quite hustle and bustle at times but the week before at Marubra I was swimming by myself for a lot of it and uh, it's, it's, it, you do get a bit of a different feeling it's quite uh, Marubra was interesting because the swell was much higher and um, I, I find sighting quite difficult and swimming on my own not quite knowing where I was going that's a different experience yeah. um, sightings are it's, it's a really interesting one because you, you really want to do it as least as possible because it's, it's definitely not an efficient um, stroke uh, or technique um, but you know you, you're trying to get you're trying to have a look up and look forward within one breathing cycle, um, 
you know, and I, I kind of break it down. Everything, every every time I break something down um, and teach a technique, it's it's into its smallest parts. Um, you know, so at the start of our um, recovery and breath, you know, we're looking, bringing our eyes up, and we really only want to bring our eyes up enough to get them just out of the water to have a peek um, before really rolling our head to the side again and finishing the breath breathing stroke um, to the side. It's, I mean, it's very hard to explain um, just talking about it, but I, I guess there's some other things that you can think of um, to make sighting more efficient. Um, you know, when you're in a rolling swell, like you said, you were at Maruba, making sure that, you know, if you're looking for boys out in the water, that you feel the water and wait till the a swell rolls underneath you and you're on the crest of a, of a swell and then take a look because then you're going to be higher up in the ocean, you're going to get a good look across the water and it's going to be you know a much more efficient use of that time because every time you lift your head swimming your lower body wants to drop so then you create more friction in the water um, and that fatigues you faster makes you use more energy um, and in fact you need to learn how to sight efficiently because a lot of people swim with their heads up and yeah. when they in the ocean, so they don't do it when they're in the pool because they're following the black line. But then when they transfer to the ocean, they just kind of always want to keep their eyes if you know something's going to catch them out or they don't quite know where they're going. Um, so they tend to swim with their head up a little bit too much. Their legs drop. They tire. Um, you know. But if you can, if you can really learn to sight, which is a little bit hard to talk um, about, uh, it's gonna. I mean, it's gonna make it's going to make it a lot more efficient for you out there. How often do you sight? Well, when you're going out through the waves, you really want to do it as often as possible because there's just so much coming at you and you need to, you know, just swimming out through a wave, you'd be looking at when you do one little look um, in front, you're looking at, you know, how far is, far away is the next wave? How fast is it coming? What stage is it in of breaking? How, where am I likely to meet it? And what stage of breaking is it likely to be in when I get to it? And then what, what am I going to do? How early am I going to start diving? How long am I going to have to stay under um, and when am I going to come up after it? So there's actually quite a lot to think about, um, and it sometimes can overwhelm people about how much you actually need to think about when you're when you're ocean swimming. Um, so you do it a lot when you're on your way up the surf, but when you're out in open water, you really only need to be sighting as often as you need to say, stay straight. Um, so if you're a straight swimmer, um, you know maybe every eight breaths might be okay, um, but then you also need to think about well, what what else is what other elements are at play here that might take me off course. You know, it's a swell rolling in. A lot, and am I swimming across the swell? So is that pushing me in, or what? Which direction is the wind blowing, and how how much is that going to push me off course? Um, yeah, that's the more I talk about it, the more I realise how much thought goes into every stroke and every um, you know every leg of the swim. And and quite interestingly, I still can't believe how little amount of boys are used in swim ocean swim races. No, I know um, some some races like, I, and I'm not great at sighting. Uh, I've got no idea where I'm headed. I mean, most of the time, I, I'm I'm not going to be ever leading a race, so I can follow the guy next to me most of the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they they don't use a lot of uh, a lot of boys in in a lot of races, do they? No, and I and I still don't quite understand that. And I, they also use some really interesting boys as well, which are the cones. But the, all the all the bulk of them are at the bottom when uh, people are really looking as high as possible to to see yeah, what's going true. on. So if, you know. But, before a race, it's always a good idea to, to to check out the course, check out which way the wind's blowing, and you know, and on each leg, which how's that wind going to affect you? You know, if, if you're swimming straight off the beach and the wind's going left to right, you know, making sure that you do start heading off to the left a little bit to account for that that wind pushing your your back um, to the right of the buoy. Can you find some landmarks 
um, along the course um, that you can use instead of looking for the boys. But like you were saying, unless you're in the front, most people just follow the person in front of them, um, which is yeah quite interesting. You can you can learn all the skills, um, and at the end of the day, you just put your head down and follow the person in front. Yeah, that's right. Well, I know Malabar on the weekend usually put big balloons on their boys, which is good because they're quite high in that high in the air, so you can actually see them from a long way away. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Yeah, I think that works out quite well. And I guess the other obvious big difference with uh, ocean swimming is, uh, well, you kind of talked about it already, but the waves and getting out through the waves, and that takes that's quite that can be quite difficult and quite confronting if. I find it difficult because you can swim and then if you don't do it right, you stop and you end up vertical and then you're just going up and down, up and down, not really making any any distance. That's something mm-hmm. I've, I've got a lot of, uh, I, I find quite difficult. Yeah, and it, and it even starts well before you get in the water. So, you know, being able to, you know, to get down to the beach and actually watch and observe the, the waves before you get in. Um, and a lot of the work of ocean swimming is done before you even get in the water. So... You know, getting down to the beach and watching for ten minutes, you know, and looking for patterns. How, you know, what, how many waves are coming through in in the sets? How long are the lulls? How far apart are the waves? How much energy is in the in the waves? So, which means, you know, how fast are they moving towards you? Because, you know, that that could be different. Um, you know, how depending on the tide, how are they breaking? Does it look like they're coming in nice and gently and spilling? Does it look like they are hitting shallow sandbanks and dumping? Um, and just kind of getting a, a feel for um, how those waves are, are coming through and then kind of in the back of your mind you can actually you know think about it and go look if I went in right now you know what would I do how you know how fast would these waves be coming at me how fast would my reactions times need to be how deep would I be needing to get under these waves you can kind of just mentally swim out through the through the waves and over the sandbar while you're watching and then it really comes down to to timing um, staying relaxed and then the, the stop-start technique that you're talking about there is, is, a, is very common. A lot of it comes down to, A, people not being able to see what's coming, so they're kind of keeping their head down, and by the time they see what's coming, it's too late. You know, there's a lot of hesitation comes into it, and, you know, they think, oh, you know, I'll just dive underwater here. And then they come up, and, you know, depending on how long they've been under the water, it might to them it might seem like they've been under for, you know, 30 seconds, but the reality is they've probably been under for, you know, two or three seconds, but now they're getting, they've come back to the surface, they're treating water, getting their, getting their breath back. But the chances are they've come a little, up a little bit too early and they've kind of been pushed back a little bit. And, and now they kind of, you know, for the rest of that set, you kind of just, you know, stay in the same spot and you've given the control over to the ocean. So the waves are coming at you and you're waiting for them trying to dive under and every dive you do is a little bit shallower than the last one. Um, and that's funny enough where the mental skills come into it. It's like, you know, if you had looked for patterns earlier, you know, maybe you knew there were four or five waves in a set. And so once you had dived under the first wave, you know, you're right, okay, four more to go. Dived under the second wave, three more to go. You know, in the back of your mind, you're staying a lot more positive because you know, you know, in five waves' time, there's a good chance I'm going to have a lull or, you know, whatever pattern that you've found there. Is that, is that how you feel where you just kind of stay on the spot and, you know, for whatever reason, the, you're not getting deep enough or, you you know, you're not staying under long enough and you kind of get stuck on the spot. Yeah, like that. So if the, I mean, it's only when the waves are, I mean, I've done a few swims now, so it's only when the waves are really big that I that I do get that feeling. But that's pretty much it. And it's the same uh, coming in as well. 
I think, I mean, obviously when you're coming in, you're being helped, but then if you can't quite catch the wave and you go over the back of it and then it breaks and then you get the, the, the swell pulling you back out again, you kind of get that same sort of feeling. You feel like you're swimming against the against the current. So coming in can be quite difficult as well. I imagine that's a slightly different technique. Yeah, it is. So on the way out, you you know, instead of the stop start, you really just want to keep swimming. And so we, you know, we teach the, the swim dive swim technique, which is, you know, just being able to continue swimming, see the wave coming, leave an arm out in front of you, bring the other one over and, and take your, your freestyle stroke down into a dive, um, staying under the water nice and streamlined, coming back up gradually, and then, you know, swimming straight away. And the idea is that when you're going through the surf, you just want to keep swimming. You've got to keep going. You've got to take on the ocean, take on the waves, um, get down and keep moving. Similarly, on the way back, um, the, the keys for coming back through the surf, and interestingly enough, I reckon it's about 50-50 um, people who are more afraid of coming back towards the beach you know, than they are going out um, into the waves. Because when you're going out, you can kind of see the waves. So you can, for the yeah. most part, you can see what's I coming at you. But for yeah. some reason... Yeah, for some reason, people that come back to the beach, they just put their head down and kind of carry on towards the shore. Um, you know, and they might look back every now and again. But if I'm swimming back in through the surf, I'm looking under my shoulder as I breathe pretty much every breath um, because I just want to continually see what's coming. Um, so that's probably the number one technique for coming back through the surf. It's just keep an eye on the waves. See where you are. Are you moving from what I would call the offshore zone into the break zone? So on the way in through the surf, you'd be looking forward, you'd be sighting forward to see, you know, where are the waves breaking in front of you? Where does the break zone look like? Um, you know, is there lots of white water in front of you to kind of give you that idea that, you know, you're on a sandbank? Um, I'd be looking back all the time under my shoulder going, you know, what's coming towards me? What does that wave look like? Does it look like it's going to be, you know, round when it gets to me? Does it look like it's going to be breaking when it gets to me? And then I can start to make decisions as I move from the offshore zone into the break zone. You know, am I going to try and catch these waves? Are they in that kind of stage that I can try and, you know, swim harder to get on them? Or, you know, does one look like the one that's coming behind me right now, does it look like it's going to dump on me? And if it does, you know, I can go into a more of a defensive strategy, which is stop, turn around, face it head on so you can see what's coming, dive under it, come back up on the other side of it, and then straight away start moving back towards the beach. And at the same time, straight away looking back behind you and looking forward again, um, you know, and just keep going because often the break zone where the waves are actually breaking and, or, you know, they could be dumping or they could be just large spilling waves. That's the kind of part where the most energy is in the wave. Um, and that's the zone you want to get through as fast as possible. So again, like the way out, um, it's the same mantra, just keep swimming. You've got to keep going. And once you're past the break zone, then you can kind of relax a bit knowing that, the, you know, all the energy in those breaking waves is behind you. Um, and you can kind of ride the, the whitewashing. There's been sort of talk in various forums on uh, ocean swimming uh, etiquette, whether you, whether you should whether you should draft on the back of somebody and uh, you know stopping near boys and breaststroking and all the rest of it. Have you got any thoughts on uh, ocean swimming etiquette? Yeah, this is a very interesting one. Um, I'm kind of on both sides, to be honest. I think there's something beautiful about ocean swimming 
just being unregulated and you know a, and a whole bunch of people from you know different backgrounds all stripped down into their swimsuit and you know cap I like the idea that you know we all wear a cap that tells us our age so you pretty much sit on the on the start line you've got everything hanging out and you've got your age on your head um there's something something magic about that it kind of brings everyone um into the same level uh and i like that but then also we have different groups of people that are involved we've got you know people who are just doing it just for a casual organized swim they may not have swum that far out or that distance if it wasn't you know for an organized swim um we've got different ages and abilities um and then we've also got, you know, competitors out there. We've got a lot of triathletes. We've got a lot of age group swimmers and competitive swimmers that are there. Um, open water swimming itself is um, taking off from more of a swimming point of view. So the Olympics has now got five and 10K open water swims, and there's not too many of those around. So a lot of the people that are competing in that level of sport are doing ocean swims. So, you know, it's very hard to manage to manage all these lot. Um, Personally, I don't like around the swimming boys. Um, it's always a tricky one. I definitely don't like breaststrokers around the boys. It's um, you can get a very good thump in the head. Um, I'd prefer people, you know, that were just taking their time and weren't after kind of any um, any competitive element to just to take it a little bit wider. Um, drafting, personally, I love drafting. I, I would um, I would do it often. I don't like the idea that you know someone's always touching your feet all the time, but normally the people that are drafting are doing it off each other anyway, so um, they kind of just take it, you know, one day they'll be getting their foot tapped, the other day someone, they'll be tapping someone else's. Um, yeah, I'll, we teach we teach drafting at Ocean Foot, um, just for, it kind of makes people feel like they're a little bit of an athlete for a moment, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, at the end of the day, like, you know, if you wouldn't like it done to you, don't do it to someone else, if, you know, I don't think it's happening really between the, you know, the people that are just doing it for enjoyment. I think it would really be happening between the people who are more competitive. Um, and when, yeah, it's drafting. You know, it happens in cycling. It happens in triathlon, and um, it's a legitimate strategy at the at the pointy end at of the, the pointy end. The... Yeah, I'm not. I'm actually not sure at my pace, sort of in the middle of the pack, whether there's any benefit to it because there's so much white water and behind people and. Not really sure you'd be getting a great deal of benefit from it unless you're really going quickly, and and it probably doesn't save wouldn't wouldn't save me an awful lot of time. I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, well, I mean, there's two two strategies that you can do if you do want to draft. So those people out there who are <laughs> <laughs> are, are drafting um, enthusiasts or looking at getting into it, um, you know, you, you need to find someone who's swimming faster. So you either have to within your ways um, take off at the start. As fast as you can to get up to get on the feet of someone who's a lot faster than you, um, or you need to, you know, when you're swimming out in your wave, you need to wait for the wave behind you and you try and catch the faster feet of the people that are coming past, um, because you need to be drafting someone who's at least 10, 20 percent faster than you yep. um, to make it, and that'll keep you swimming at your same pace, but you'll actually just be getting pulled along faster. So for you, it'll feel like you're swimming the same pace, but your actual real pace will be a lot faster. You'd, you'd never want to draft off someone the same pace as you because you would just feel like you would have to slow down your stroke, you'd have to slow down your pace, and you'd just feel like you were being yeah. lazy. Yeah, oh, that's interesting if you reckon it, you could get that much benefit out of it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And that's why, you know, the toe tapping beca- happens be- mainly because 
you know, to get the, to get right in the channel behind, because basically the person in front is breaking the surface tension of the water, um, similar to a, a truck driving uh, down the road, and um, they're breaking the surface area of the water. Um, you get these little, you know, the little eddies start to curl on either side of you, um, and if you sit in those little eddies, you're going to get pulled along. So, um, but you know, if you are drafting, the chances are you're trying to swim at a very, uh, you know, normal pace for you. But every now, but you, because you're getting pulled along, you're actually, you know, going a little bit faster, and you end up tagging the legs. So it is very hard to stay behind someone and not touch the legs because if you're not touching the legs, you're probably not close enough. Um, yeah, but you right. definitely will get a, a huge benefit from it. Yeah, and there's certainly a bit of. I mean, I can remember my very first ocean swim, which was the Cole Classic in, I don't know, maybe 2010, 2011, and that that physical nature of the swim was was probably the first big surprise. Like, I mean, I guess if I'd thought it through, I would have been obvious, but it was pretty physical. You get some pretty head kicking races in those in the big ones like the Cole. Yeah, uh, I mean, anytime you get that many people in the water in that kind of confined space and, you know, people are swimming all different directions and, you know, <laughs> talking about sighting earlier, you know, when people start swimming, they're all off in all different directions at all different speeds and, um, you know, people catching up to others. It's just inevitable that you're going to um, roll over. And, you know, I don't know what the answer is, but when you've got people that are, you know, trying to go for the fastest time, you know, against their mates or against... Um, you know, to try and win. You know, people are going to be trying to get, go fast. You know, um, but some people are going to want to to, to want to cruise. I, look, I don't think culturally people are really going out there to hurt anyone. Um, interesting enough, I think uh, the ocean swimming kind of came. The origins of ocean swimming in Australia, especially, came through surf life saving. Um, and if you look back in the way that surf races used to be raced, so the, the basically the ocean swims of surf life saving. Um, they are, they were brutal back in the day. So this is you know swim, swimming with your with your fists closed around the the boys and you know pulling the swimsuits. Um, you know that and there would be elements of that still now in in the in the male surf races for sure. Uh, I'm sure even in the female races they would be you know they'd be pretty brutal because if if you've got people at speed converging on a boy, you know and if you you need the inside alley to get the benefit, you know you're going to do whatever it takes to get in there. Um, um, so that you know, so that that's been in surf life saving and surf races, you know, go for a hundred years. So um, and and surf, you know, ocean swimming came out of that, and you know maybe there's some of that there. But I think it's just that natural, um, you know, if you if you're out there trying to get in, get the line, uh, you're gonna you're gonna yeah. find it. Yeah. I mean, even in water, even in water polo these days, they talk about how um, aggressive water polo is and. <laughs> Have you ever seen? You got, you got to see some footage, underwater footage from water polo. It's uh, pretty brutal. Yeah, I was like, yeah, they're all wearing um, cozies that are, you know, four times too small for them to make sure that hands can't get in there. And oh man, it's, so I mean, ocean swimming's not alone in that, in that kind of aggression. And maybe it's a sporting cultural thing. Maybe it's a you know an Australian thing that you know just that competitiveness in there. Look, I wouldn't know like whether it happens in other. In other countries yeah i mean in my experience for the most part it's pretty good it's only ever around around the boys if you've been caught by um the wave behind you really i've never i don't think i've ever really had any problems in my wave because everyone's about the same pace and and if you're being caught and you're a long way between boys then then typically you know the leaders will 
those those guys catching you will kind of go around you. It's not that much of a problem. It's only yeah. like trying to get that inside line, I think, um, which is interesting. Yeah. It if, the, have... if the first if the first ball is really close to the start, then that can pose a problem. It's a lot nicer when the first turning boy is you know quite far away because that gives everyone time to spread out. It's always quite funny in those sorts of races where. You're swimming along, you're on your own for a while, and then by the time you hit your boy, there's a hundred people around you because everybody's just because no one can swim straight, and then everybody converges when they finally see the boy and try to get around it. And so I wanted to ask you about your uh, your, your career. You've got a, a pretty long uh, career in, in in water safety, which culminates in in writing some water safety documents for for a Saudi prince. I guess we'll get to that. But uh, how, what's what's the journey to that point? You've done a lot of water safety education. Yeah, well, I, I grew up in a small town in New Zealand called Gisborne. It's a um, it's the first city to see the sun. It's a bit of a surf town, so we're just surrounded by beaches and. Um, I grew up, you know, swimming and surf lifesaving and lifeguarding and um, sailing and fishing and, you know, just about anything that you can think of to do with water I was involved in. And I kind of took a um, a liking to instructing and teaching all those things as well. So I did that, um, you know, taught swimming, taught sailing, um, taught surf lifesaving, became a lifeguard, started working for the surf life saving at the same time um, and then took those skills around the world. So I worked in the UK and um, US and Canada and Croatia and, you know, enjoyed, you know, just going off and, and you know, it was a great, you know, when you put all those skills, they're really well um, in demand around the, around the world. So it was a great little lifestyle for a few years. You're clearly um, not against swimming. Moved, in, it's pretty cold places there. You're clearly not against swimming in cold ocean. Yeah, no. Well, admittedly, when I was in Canada, I was in the pool. Um, yeah, it's probably the most interesting thing I did in Canada was get into teaching aqua aerobics for some older ladies. So, okay, <laughs> I used to love that. I used to love getting the cakes. You know, every time I took a lesson, I'd get a cake. Oh, fantastic! So, um, yeah, I just had to do an extra couple of swim sessions that day to make <laughs> sure I could burn it off. <laughs> burn it off. Yeah, um, you know, and even then, I was working on um, on the ski hills as well, working in the first aid huts and kind of. Moving from fluid water to ice, and you know, it's all all very much the same. But um, yeah, that was interesting. Um, and then when I moved to Australia, I started working for Surf Life Saving Australia, um, which was really interesting. Um, I lived above um, the icebergs building, and then I worked in the icebergs building, and I spent all my leisure time at the beach. So I kind of they talk about the Bondi bubble. I literally had probably a hundred meter. That's um, radius yeah, of, um, for three years so that was um, really good and yeah I've worked on all of the programs wrote all the NIPA resources for uh, age managers um, so that was a really big project at the time and you know a lot of those are still being used around the country trying to transition you know a lot of the things that I had um, been teaching myself through my teaching career and kind of channeling that into, into those kind of resources um, you know some leadership programs and um, eventually became the lifeguard manager, the national lifeguard manager, and my role there was to to really bring together the 
the industry because at the time, you know, surf life saving, um, there was this kind of big divide between surf life saving and the, the council lifeguards and their association. And the idea, you know, and I'm this kind of dreamer who thinks that everyone should just get along and, you know, we should all be aiming towards the same single goal. So I really enjoyed um, that side of it, trying to, you know, bring everyone together, you know, getting surf life saving, using, you know, bringing the lifeguards um, into their vernacular and um, sharing ideas and working together so that, you know, life saving or lifeguarding is more efficient on the beaches, um, you know, and, and we're sharing all the knowledge that, you know, is, is so, there's just so much of it around here. Um, so that was very interesting. Um, when I finished up there, I had started and, and delivered 10 issues of the Australian Lifeguard magazine, um, which was probably one of my most enjoyable outcomes from that time. Um, it was the first time any surf life-saving publication had had lifeguards in it. Um, okay. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, does that still yeah, exist? So, it does still exist, yeah. So they do uh, one issue a year, um, and it really kind of just showcases, you know, all the best uh, work that's happening um, with the Australian Lifeguard Service and Council Lifeguards and surf life saving in general. Um, and it's really interesting now where they're getting into because, it's, you know, technology has taken off and we're seeing a lot more technology become a part of everyday um, lifeguarding. We're getting, you know, really good data and, and knowledge being shared online. Um, you know, we've got the drones coming and, you know, they did their first rescue the other day. So it'll be interesting to see where that, yeah, where that, that goes amazing. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of, lots more rescue equipment, um, like remote controlled, you know, rescue tubes and all sorts of things that, you know, I remember even when I was working there, things used to come over the desk, you know, every week someone had created some new, um, in, you know, innovative rescue product and, you know, some of them, um, will just never make the cut, but, you know, with technology moving the way it is. It's going to be really interesting in that space. Okay, that's interesting. And so, when did you end up writing something for a Saudi Arabian prince? Yeah, so it was actually when I uh, finished up at Surf Life Saving, but I had um, I got the call to kind of help out with the project. They had been approached by the Saudi Arabian, Saudi Arabian uh, Swimming Association, which um, basically over there there's hundreds of princes and. Um, at the time, I was kind of I was like kind of starstruck about, well, he's a prince wanting to talk to me on Skype. Um, so basically, yeah, the, the prince that I dealt with was um, one of the things that he looked after was um, water safety and swimming, and they they really wanted to um, to tackle the the drowning issue that they had over there. Um, but they kind of needed to know where they to where to, where to start, and they approached Surf Life Saving Australia, who um, who got me on board and. Um, essentially, I went over there and, and um, conducted uh, an investigation of, of the situation, and um, it was it was very interesting. I remember lining up in the on the plane in um, Dubai to fly there, and I was you know, wearing the suit, and I was, you know, where am I going? And I got picked up and by this uh, lovely guy, and um, yeah, spent a few weeks looking around all the the waterways there, the beaches. Um, they've got some fantastic facilities over there, but they were hardly being used. Um, they still have the issues around segregation between males and females. Um, and so, you know, people were drowning in, in puddles when it rained too much. Um, you know, it was just really, it was really interesting. You know, they have the same issues as any other, any other country, really. People are lack of, re lack of understanding, a lot of ignorance around um, water. And, yeah, no one, no one at the time seemed to be really doing anything about it. So 
that was the start of that journey. So, yeah, we put together a, a five-year plan to get them on the road, and yeah, it seems to they seem to be taking it on one step at a time. Yeah, cool. And now you're running your own uh, your own thing with with OceanFit. Yeah, OceanFit. It started back in 2009, and that was on the back of the work that I was doing at Surf Ice Saving at the time around um, around nippers and um, and just I could see ocean swimming as a sport was starting to you know starting to really take off. Um, but when you when you are in the surf ice saving kind of world, it's a very um, um, committed space to be in. When you you know if you want to if you want to learn to to ocean swim or get confident in the ocean, if you approach surf life saving or a, lot, a surf club, they're basically going to say, well, you know, can you swim 400 metres under nine minutes and, you know, we'll teach you it, but you have to become a lifesaver. So, you know, you had to commit a lot just to be um, taught how to, you know, ocean swim or be confident in the ocean. So it just really wasn't an option for for lots of people and there really weren't that many um, entry points um, to, to gaining that knowledge. Um, so and and nippers um, on the same accord was nippers is a you know it's a it's a great program it's been around for a long time um, but it's not for everyone it's a it's a mass model mass teaching model you get hundreds of kids down there you get age managers and parents all around and they try their best to you know to get these kids excited about the water and, and get them in the water but I kind of saw this um, opportunity there to to offer more of a kind of premium model, I guess, you know, smaller group sizes, um, real personal um, training, um, and that's where OceanFit came from, really, offering um, kids and adults uh, an entry point where they could come, you know, get really um, good skills and knowledge through small groups or one-on-one lessons, um, and then just take those skills and go off and do whatever they want, uh, develop their own ocean lifestyle, which we all enjoy. Yeah, because I mean, there aren't too many. Even pool swimming. I mean, adult. I mean, adult squads exist, but um, it's not always. I mean, you offer from entry level through to a bit more advanced. It's not easy to find adult entry level sporting things, really. No, and I mean, even just swimming alone. Um, you know, some parts of the country have got fantastic swimming um, facilities. You go to the Gold Coast, and there's this. You know, there's an outdoor. 50 meter swimming pool every second block, you know, along the strip there, um, and I'm always very jealous of that living in Sydney because I, you know, I think we've got, you know, we've got a massive population here, but we've got very few pools. So um, there's very, you know, and the competition for space in those pools um, is fierce, especially at, you know, any time that anyone is going to want to get in there. Um, so it's very hard. I mean, people ask me for for stroke correction, or you know, where can I go to learn this, or can I go to a beginner squad somewhere? And I'm like, well. You know, it's, it's few, they're few and far between. Um, yeah, and even in the even in ocean swimming, there's lots of groups out there, and um, we've got a really good list of them on our website. Um, if you look for ocean swimming groups, and there's lots of social swimming groups out there, and we've got a lot of people that, and I think in ocean swimming, there's a lot of people that go ocean swimming because they can swim, but they don't necessarily, and, you know, and they they have a good time, and they go they go swimming, and they you know they'll keep to the smaller conditions and you know they'll enjoy it and you don't really need that many skill you don't need need to learn that much you know just to have a really good you know have a low level go at it um it's really if you know you want to really understand what's going on and become you know much more efficient in the in the open water or you want to um really make sure that you're getting out of it what you should be getting out of it that you that you'll come and get 
lessons and um, kind of develop yourself. I, I wrote a blog a while ago that was um, quite well received around, you just don't know what you don't know. Well, that's it for this edition of The Pod. My name is Mark West, and thanks very much to Andre for taking the time to have a chat. If you'd like any more information on OceanFit or anything you heard in this episode, get over to our website at www.thepodpodcast.net. That's www.thepodpodcast.net. Thanks very much. I'll catch you next time.